Sego Sewagwego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory in the summer and fall of 2020. These podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services. My name is Lisa Venevri from the Mohawk Nation and Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name program. Welcome to the Ohatde Negasuna podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate, located on the bottom of the page of our website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. In today's episode of Yohat De Negasuna podcast, we'll be talking with Elizabeth Dockstader. Elizabeth is Ongwe Honwe Haudenosaunee from Six Nations of the Grand River, and the author of Art of Peace and Dream Fast. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello. <laughs> and you can introduce yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm Elizabeth Oxtader. I was um, uh, born on Six Nations, and I was raised there, and I that's where I live, so... Um, I have a small shop in Ashwigan at the Village Plaza, and I. And what do, I don't know what what do you? What is your shop? It's called Everything Corn Husk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what kind of shop is it? What do you sell there and um, share there? Well, it kind of turned into more than just a little shop. So basically, uh, it was called Everything Corn Husk because we really wanted to focus on celebrating that uh, corn husk doll figure in the community again and really making them available. And so it's called Everything Corn Husk. We call it a shop, but we also call it a, a kind of a gallery because people can come in and just have a seat and look and chat. And uh, it's been uh, a, a point of discussion. So people from different agencies, uh, both on the reserve and off the reserve, have come in and basically ended up doing like workshops and teaching people how to make uh, corn husk dolls. And it's a small space too, isn't it? I've been there several times. Do you plan on expanding? No. Um, <laughs> it keeps us pretty busy because it's, like I say, it's evolved from just being a shop to being more like a, an office almost and like a, a place where we can meet people and, and talk to them about like other other kinds of um, things that we do, like providing workshops, talks, and actual like workshops on making cornhouse dolls and that. And so Elizabeth just isn't an, uh, an author. In in addition to that, you're an accomplished artist. I've seen some of your your artwork, and and I really the one that really resonated with me is um, the one that is a, a corn husk um, woman, and it reminds me of Mona Lisa. Yes, that's the one. And can you can you explain what inspired you to do that piece? Okay, um, so it's um, it's my rendition of Mona Lisa. It's called Mona Lisa Made a Basket, and she's sitting in um, a log house or maybe even a longhouse, and she's holding a basket. Sure, her face has been removed just like the corn husk doll, 
And so it's this understanding of beauty that a lot of people travel all around the world just to go see the Mona Lisa. And I thought, well, two things. One, uh, that's someone else's interpretation of beauty. And that according to the, the teaching of the Cornhusk doll is that beauty is something that's based on commitment to duty rather than physical appearance. And so I wanted to celebrate that. Uh, the other thing is that uh, it's, it's something that I call reverse colonialism. So there's so many things that are ours that they have claimed. So, you know, I, we don't have to go down the list, but like, you know, our land and our resources, even some of our language and words. And so I thought, well, we could do the same thing. So I took this iconic painting and I turned it into ours. So now it's ours. So people growing up in our community that see that and we'll see that that is ours. So I kind of um, uh, claimed it for our people. And it's beautiful. And would you ever sell the original? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll put it in a, a glass case. <laughs> With one of those little lights over yeah. it like they do at the museum. And also, at, at you, you sort of talked about the um, story of the corn husk doll. Did you want to elaborate on that? A little bit. Why do the corn husk dolls have no face? Okay. Well, this is the story the way I understand it, is that uh, there came a time when the people in the many different villages were having a hard time getting their work done. If anybody's planted a garden and had to take care of seeds and harvesting and preparing the seeds to store, it's a, like a really big, long process. And so they, um, they asked for help. And so Creator made this beautiful corn husk doll and sent her to the villages to help the parents. And so she would go there and she would take care of the children. She'd play with them. She'd teach them things. And um, people would always comment on how beautiful she was. You know, she's so beautiful. And then she, they start telling her that, you know, you're so beautiful. And she was like, you know, kind of brushed it off and went on with her duties. And... Um, one day she was traveling in between villages and she needed a drink of water. So she went and sat beside the, the little stream there to get a drink. And she happened to see herself in her reflection in the water. And when she saw it, she kind of startled herself because she was really beautiful. And she was like, you know, okay, now she understood what they were talking about. But she had things to do. So she, she left and she went to the village and she worked with those children in that village. Well, a few days later, she was between villages again. And this time, she thought she might take a little bit longer look. So she looked into that water, and she admired herself. She started stroking her hair and looking at herself. I think they call them duck lips now. <laughs> kind of an old version of a selfie. Mm -hmm. um, and she really started admiring herself. Uh, well, after a while, she's like, oh, I got to get going. So she went to the village, and she worked with those kids and then but she left pretty quick so as days went by uh, she was less and less with the children and nobody knew where she was and so they found her and she was like sitting by this stream staring at herself just commenting on how beautiful she was so they got very concerned they went to creator and they said you know the beautiful doll that you sent to our villages she was so good the children loved her and she took care of them and it was able we were able to do our work but she's spending more time staring at herself than she is actually helping. So 
it was decided that her role was going to change. And so uh, her role was going to be more like what I call like a medicine for the people. Because uh, I've heard the story told where, it, you know, she was punished. And I think uh, it, it could be seen that way, but that we were, we were supposed to understand something more important than that, and that uh, her face was removed. And her face was removed to remind us what real beauty is, and that beauty is connected to the, the duties and the gifts that you were brought here uh, to, to share with the other people. So it is a reminder of um, humility and how important um, work is, right? And they talk about how our people are, are all given gifts and that you share those gifts with others. So that was uh, an important lesson that we're supposed to learn from the doll is that beauty isn't what you look like. And the funny part about it is that when people come into the shop and they see the dolls all up on the shelf, none of the dolls have faces. But the one thing that you hear from everyone is, these dolls are so beautiful. Yeah, and they are. If you've ever seen Cornhusk dolls, they are so beautiful. And they all look the same, basically. <laughs> um, they can be dressed differently. They can be posed differently, doing different things. But um, and and it also inspires children, I think, to use their imaginations. And what would you? What does your doll look like in your own imagination? Um, I and and cornhusk dolls will never have faces. Right. Right. Yeah. They're like that forever. Um, I I just hope that more people can get to your shop in the village of Ashwigan and visit your shop there to to see all the beautiful things that are there. How about we talk about your books, Art of Peace and Dream Fast? What inspired you to write these books? I was, um, well, people in the community know I was in a really bad accident about 14 years ago. And when I was uh, on the road to recovery, because I had some pretty severe injuries, uh, both of my legs were broken, one of my arms was broken, and I, I got hit like several places. So I was just really um, in a place where I had to try to figure out how do I come out of this. Um, one of the things I remember was a story of um, a famous singer who had gotten injured, and then he got addicted to painkillers, and uh, and then that became like a really big news story. So I remembered that, and I really didn't want to go down that road. I didn't want to end up in a like a severe depression, needing medication, or um, addicted to painkillers. And so one of the things that I had always heard going to community meetings in in the community was everything you need is in the great law. And it became kind of like this little rote saying that I heard, a memorized saying that people would say, you know, well, everything you need is in the great law. And I didn't really know what that meant. And so I thought, well, I I couldn't move. I was totally, uh, I, I couldn't, I was not mobile at all. So I set out to try to study the great law and I tried to figure out how I can apply this to this trauma, this tragedy, right? Like for me, and um, what I could, what kind of understanding that I could get. So I started to study and 
as I was studying, I was also making dolls to kind of correspond to the things that I was learning about. So when they talk about the condolence or when they talk about when Peacemaker was born, I uh, created dioramas to um, represent those and tried to understand it. So that was like kind of like my form of studying was reading about it, talking to people, making the dolls and looking at it and actually thinking about it, right? Which was, I, I suppose... It was a type of uh, meditation over it, um, although we don't tend to use that word necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so to, to try to get an understanding. But what happened was, as I was making the dolls and making more, people were asking me to come, can you bring the dolls here? Can, can you show them? Can you talk about them? And so I started out very slow. I even had them set up in my house and people would say, you know, can, we bring, can I bring my staff over? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so then I would talk about them. And uh, because I would really try to be prepared for what I could tell them, and I, I started to write about it. And so when I started to write about it, I had more and more, and people would say, you know, you know, are you writing a book? And I would say no. And then I had enough for a book, and I was like, well, I, you know, I think I will put this in and see what it looks like, right? So uh, then that's when it started to... Uh, I started to pull things that were happening currently uh, in in the community and uh, in the in the country. This was around the time of the the Truth and Reconciliation uh, calls to action and final report were being released, and so started to make all those kinds of connections connections with my own situation, with the grief that all of our people were experiencing across the the whole continent, really, and um, trying to put them in very concrete. Uh, words that hopefully uh, writing them would help me. And if they helped me, then I thought, well, maybe they'll be um, useful for other people too. And everybody always pronounces this one or writes it Dreamcast. And it's like, it's Dreamfast. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dreamfast. And you know the reason behind the, the title of that one? Um, Dreamfast. No, I don't even think so I do. Do you remember the kids' movie, um, The Dark Crystal? No. Oh, my God. Charlie, come and get me. Just kidding. These people are obviously from another planet. Um, in Dreamfast, um, I'm not in Dreamfast, in um, The Dark Crystal, there's these beings. They're gelflings, and um, they are. there's one, and his name is Jen, and he is, um, or maybe his name's Kira. I can't remember which one he was, but the male. And so he's kind of like the star character from the start, and he ends up falling and or he and he runs into this other one and he thought he was the only one left mm -hmm. and so he's like i thought i was the only one and she says i thought i was the only one so they're walking and they're like talking and he stumbles and when he stumbles she reaches her hand out to help him up but when their hands touch their um lives start playing telepathically for the other one right and mm -hmm. she's like when I was little, I remember my mother, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, and then the old ones took me. And so their, their lives play for them. And um, when all of this uh, stuff about um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the 94 calls to action were coming out, one of the things that I recognized was that Marie Sinclair, he said, Let's call upon the churches, let's call upon the government, let's call upon the museums, let's call upon child welfare agencies. Let's call upon all these people who created these things to help as if they're going to go, oh, did we do that? Oh, okay, let's fix it. And so 
I thought, well, um, I think he missed a spot because the whole world was watching him. Mm-hmm. And when the whole world was watching him, he had the opportunity to empower our people. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to say, and finally, we need to call upon each other. Yeah. We need to call upon our own communities and our own people to welcome back those people who were taken away from our communities for whatever reason. If parents had to work, if if they were alienated from the community for whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, Welcome them back. Let them know that they're welcome. Oh, yeah. I knew why you wanted to do the welcome home and so, thing, but And so dream with fast. Dream Fast, that was my version of that Dream Fast from that movie. Oh, okay. So it's like, here's the things that you missed if you were away. Here's New Year. Here's the Thanksgiving address. Here's uh, um, a, a recipe for donuts. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the things that if you grew up down a bush, you would know, right? Yeah. And if you didn't, then uh, if if it's something that, you might feel that you've missed out on. I just wanted to give little, little bits and pieces of of um, mm-hmm. the life in the community. I didn't know it was it was inspired by that movie, mm-hmm. but I'll have to watch that movie. Right. Yeah. Well, it, what, the 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 title was inspired by the movie. The title, yeah. right? And it was, mm-hmm. but it was inspired by the fact that there was a piece missing in those ninety four calls to action, and that's why that's based on. Um, what I wrote was the call to action 95, which is in the back of, um, art of peace actually. And, um, this is good stuff that needs to be in the podcast on page 83, page 83. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So it says, uh, let's take when the calls to action were released, June 2nd, 2015. Let's take every June 2nd and review the international rights of a child with the people in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Let's call upon ourselves to to strive to no longer allow the lingering colonial rule to weigh us down and prevent us from accepting ourselves as the sacred beings that we are. Let's call upon ourselves to celebrate our traditional beliefs, cultures, and traditional governments traditional languages, and traditional lands and territories. Let's call upon ourselves to find the strength to heal ourselves, our homes, and our communities, and continue to seek justice and accountability. And then this this is the one. Let's call upon ourselves to create a time for the children and adults who have been away from our communities for whatever reason to be welcomed home, repatriating them so that they know they were missed and they know that when they return home, they will be loved and protected. Mm-hmm. So then F has to do with, um, it alludes to the um, movement towards protecting or creating an awareness of the missing and murdered Indigenous women, mm-hmm. although I don't call it that, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that um, to create safety plans for the most vulnerable of our communities, we need to heighten our own community standards to ensure that we are making every effort to protect them. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. that, and so from there... It's like I can say, well, he missed a spot and we have to call upon ourselves, but then not do anything. So then that's where DreamFast came from because it's like, oh, I guess I have to do something too then. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. How long ago did you write the books? I think uh, Art of Peace was 2016 it came out. So I was writing it during that time when those report that report was being released. Mm-hmm. And where can people find your books? Are they online? Um, sort of the, uh, good minds carries them goodminds.com And I have them at the shop. Um, you can contact us directly. I never really went the Amazon route or anything like that. I'm, you know, a little bit lower key than that. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, people can get them from Good Minds if they just yeah. shop online, goodminds.com. Would you like to do a reading from one of your books? Um, I can. I, I, I'll... So it's a poem, it's at the start of Art of Peace, and what I found was that a lot of the great law was based on uh, lifting grief and that and healing from trauma right and so then in that context it becomes useful and applicable now and so it's not like ancient teachings that you know aren't aren't of any value right now so what happened was i started thinking about the um about that condolence and how it's um very far away like some of the things are so big and far away that they're unreachable for for those of us who don't have like um people who are knowledge holders in our families and you know accessible so it's like kind of intimidating and so i tried to put it in very basic language so this is a poem called condolences and this is the one that's at the start of art of peace we know we'll have days when we'll have to mourn our tears will keep falling our hearts feel torn. Our throats become sore. We can't speak quite right. Our ears will not listen. We won't have clear sight. It's then we remember what our teachings would cite that comforts us through our most sorrowful night. Loved ones who've died begin a journey, they say. They travel back home along the Milky Way. They dance with the stars. They sparkle and shine. Now they are home with Creator Divine. Our teachings then help to dry our tears clear our throats, open our ears. Some say a week, 10 days to a year to heal from losing a loved one so dear. The balance of life can always be found. There's sun and there's moon, there's up and there's down. There's planting and harvest and sureness and doubt and backwards and forwards and still and about. There's happy and sad, there's day and there's night. There are girls and boys, there's black and there's white. The circle of life balances sunset and dawn as both are connected for life to go on. That is beautiful, Elizabeth. And when you read this and and you see all of the cultural teachings that are within this poem, and when you can, there's just so much in this poem that, that come from the Haudenosaunee cultural teachings, and you've made it all, you, you've put it all in there in just that poem. It's amazing. And I get, I get so inspired by poetry because poetry is so soothing to the ear, right? It it cre- it it, in, it, in, it enhances our senses, our our hearing and our when I read a poem, I visualize what's going on in in the poem and I could listen to poetry all day. <laughs> um so when you wrote Dream Fast, um, let us know, can you share about what inspired you to write Dream Fast? That it's called A Trail of Stories to Lead You Home. Well, when I finished writing Art of Peace, one of the things that, uh, it was around the time that the calls to action were released. They were released in 2015. And there was, well, there's 94 of them. And they were written by Murray Sinclair. 
And so his calls to action basically are like, we call upon the federal government, we call upon the churches, we call upon the museums, we call upon health agencies, we call upon child welfare agencies, we call upon all these people that created these circumstances in our communities to turn around and do something completely different now. And it it felt like a pretty, those are really monumental calls to action if they were possible. And I, I just, it just had like a, something was missing. And what I thought about was everybody in the world, all indigenous people in the world were probably listening to him. And he had an opportunity to empower our people, not as victims, right? As, um, as contributors, as participants in the healing in our communities. And I felt like, you know, that um, commercial where they used to say, hey, you missed a spot. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what I felt like. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, he did 94 of them. And I thought, well, there's there was room for 95 where we could call upon our communities. We could call upon our own people and we could call upon ourselves. And so in Art of Peace, I ended by uh, writing uh, Call to Action 95 where we call upon ourselves to share the international rights of a child with our children as our responsibility, and that we call upon ourselves and exemplify how we can work towards no longer letting that colonial rule uh, weigh us down, Um, and that we can call upon ourselves to celebrate our traditional beliefs, our culture, our traditional forms of government, our traditional languages and lands and territories, and that we can call upon ourselves to try as much as possible. Because sometimes there's been a lot of damage, but that we can try to heal ourselves and our homes and our communities as much as possible, right? And continue to seek justice and accountability. And that um, the next one, let's call upon ourselves to create a time for the children and adults who have been taken away from our communities for whatever reason, to be welcomed home, repatriating them so that they know they were missed and they know that when they return home, they will be loved and protected. So that was the one that um, I thought could have been really emphasized when he was giving that, uh, when he was releasing those calls to action. And it wasn't mentioned anywhere that we have no responsibility. So it creates this illusion that we're victims and that we're just sitting here waiting for them to come and heal us. And we don't have any power in it. And I don't think that, well, I know that's not true, right? Mm -hmm. We have the power. Mm -hmm. So, but we have to hear it too. We have to hear it from each other. We have to hear it from the leadership. And we, I didn't hear it. Right. And so, um, so then I wrote it and so then it kind of was like, okay, I wrote it. That's good. And then I thought, you know, as like, tumpty, tumpty, tum, hey, I think that means me too. <laughs> I have to call upon myself. I have to do something because I definitely have had people in our family taken away, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not know where they were. And then as adults, you go, holy, I haven't seen you, you know? And um, all those things that we miss, like gr- growing up in the community, uh, one of the family, we, we were one of the families that would go live on tobacco farms or go work on strawberry farms or tomatoes or like whatever. Everybody did that. And all of our cousins were there and uh, just everybody was always together. So then when all of a sudden some are gone mm-hmm. and 
and coming from an oppressed community, you know that you're not allowed to ask questions, right? It's that indoctrination of this is just the way it is and don't ask any questions about it. Uh, so coming from that. Uh, so then now as an adult, as knowing that uh, people are actually starting to talk about what the, the, those schools were about uh, with the, this current um, Indian day school uh, lawsuit, what those schools were represented for such a long time that um, I thought I just wanted a tool. I just wanted something to say if you were taken away uh, because we also uh, deal with that, what they call um, uh, lateral violence, right? Yeah. And so any way that I can... Uh, make a reason not to like you, I will. Oh, you weren't raised on the reserve? Oh, too mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really have to accept you then. Oh, uh, you were raised where? Or your parents are who? Or like whatever, right? Yeah. And and so we do that all the time. So um, just saying now, if um, if they're coming home and is there is there some way that we can welcome them home and that was actually one of the calls to action that um that was missing right that we have some kind of a, a tool or a or something in the community that says we know that you were stolen we know that you were taken away mm-hmm. and we missed you and all while you were gone you were loved and we're glad you're home and we want to express that right yeah and we don't do that yeah and we need to do that yes we need to do that um so with dream fast i it's it's interesting if you do read the book you will get a sense of belonging because of the things that are written in here and things that you did miss and things that you 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 need to know right um that that the rest of the community um shares with you this knowledge okay what um did you want to do a reading from dream fast maybe okay just pick anything you want to you want to read i like strawberries the poem yeah do you want to read it oh i would love to read strawberries (laughs) (laughs) strawberries are my favorite did you ever look at a strawberry and see that it's shaped like a heart They're red and juicy and good for you, and they're an important part of the cycle of life that we honor. As they first bear fruit in the spring, they begin our Thanksgiving cycle, and we give thanks for everything. The strawberry came from the sky world when all the world was sea. They were in the hand of the woman who fell through the hole near the tree. As she fell, she called for help. And the birds answered her call. They brought her to the earth to gently break her fall. They placed her on the turtle's giant shell. She planted the roots on the turtle's back with tobacco roots as well. She lived alone for a while, but Sky Woman soon gave birth. She loved and raised her daughter. Now there were two women on earth. When the daughter was grown, she too gave birth, but to twins. And this is the start of the story of how life on earth begins. This year, when the flowers have blossomed and the fruits have been picked as well, remember Sky Woman's journey from Sky World to Turtle Shell. That is beautiful, Elizabeth. 
what inspires you to sit down and just write these beautiful poems? I think there's a, for myself, those are all things that I lacked, right? Those teachings. I didn't have anyone that was like, you know, these are important teachings that you need to know. So I wanted to make them accessible to everyone. So it's like, I understand them. I think I can put them into words where it demystifies them and makes them really accessible to everyone and hopefully easy to remember. I thought of it in terms of when kids are skipping and, you know, like Cinderella, blah, 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 you know, those <laughs> yeah. that they're easy to remember. So I tried to put it in that kind of a, a, a rhythm. Right? Oh, yeah, rhythm. Mm -hmm. And Pauline Johnson has a rhythm. Do you read a lot of Pauline Johnson poetry? No. No. <laughs> I do. I love the rhythm of, of how she writes. And, and I love the rhythm of how you write, mm -hmm. too. When you say somebody who didn't know um, the creation story for instance because and they read this poem and then they went and learned the creation story and read this poem again it would have a whole different uh, a more fuller meaning for them right. right and because a lot of the teachings are in your poetry do you want to read the good mind okay so there's two things one was that um that standing quiver dance Godotro, um was so what i said in here was that um um, it's a social dance, mm -hmm. but it could be used as that tool, I call it a tool, as that process or strategy to welcome people home. Because what it was, you, you know, do you know that story about the standing quiver? Um, probably when you say it to me okay. again. So what happened was when the men would go out to hunt, so the village was here, the palisade was here, right? They would go out to hunt. They would be gone. So they'd be gone to kill, right? Yeah. Um, you have to clean them off. You oh, have yeah, to yeah, yeah. That's right. Straight that's right. Come back in. So mm -hmm. then they would all put their quivers together and they would start dancing around them. Mm -hmm. And then um, the people from the village would hear them and they would come out and they would get in between them and they would um, um, dance together and like clean them off or what they call like warming their breath. Mm -hmm. So uh, in... Grade seven, I think you do this um, science experiment where you have to heat water up and have cold water. You take the temperature of the hot water, you take the temperature of the cold water, and you mix them together, and it warms the cold water up, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's tempering, right? Kind of like peacemaking, they call it, too. Mm -hmm. So... If we were to do that specifically for those kids who are taken away, and even now it goes into like children's aid and being crown wards and, you know, wards of the whatever. And so um, if we could modify it to welcome kids back and do that gadatro, so that's just a, a thought. Oh, Anyways, okay. Yeah. But yeah. So if you, if you want to get these books that Elizabeth has written, Art of Peace and Dream Fast, go to goodminds.com and, and you can order them from there. So not too long ago, I attended an exhibit that, uh, at the Woodland Cultural Center that featured Elizabeth's, um, your, your um, work. It was the Peacemaker's Journey and it was the Creation Story and they also had the, the Council Fire, the huge one that you did. Can you, can you share with us your inspirations for creating those? Um, okay. Uh, well, when I was trying to straighten my mind, right, and not get 
uh, caught up in even like a pity party, you know, poor me, this happened because these things, people all experience things in their lives. Mm -hmm. So what I was trying to do was express something in a, in a good way. And what I found was that uh, for some, for some, uh, there didn't seem to be like a, a baseline, a, a a place where you kind of could measure if it was acceptable. And so there was one piece that I did in the in the um, peacemaker's journey, which represented the condolence, and it was uh, Ayanwata. He was sitting down, and peacemaker was lifting his grief. And so when they talk about that, they talk about how the the tears are wiped from your eyes mm -hmm. and the dust is wiped from your ears and anything impeding your throat is like you use water and so i thought about that and so what happened so a couple things happened was like i was trying to express myself in some way but people were also asking me questions and saying you know well how do i use that how is that? It sounds really nice, and I've heard people talk about it, and it sounds nice, but how do I actually use that? I want to use it every day. And so I, I put some thought into it, and what I realized is that when, when I create works, that if your grief has been lifted and your eyes are clear, that I have a responsibility that anything that I show you, because it's going to go into your eyes, it's going to go into your mind, it's going to filter through your body, through your heart, through everything... Um, I have a responsibility to make sure it contributes to your lifted grief, right? To your ability to carry peace. Yes. So it has to be beautiful. It can't celebrate the, the trauma in our communities, right? It has to celebrate that peace. So words that we speak to each other, we have a responsibility too for what goes in each other's ears, right? So those words also are going to get filtered through your body. So there's a responsibility to make sure that those words represent peace and help you to carry that peace too. So that's where the inspiration, or I guess like the baseline for what I work. So my paintings hopefully don't represent anything uh, that represents something of negative that happens in our community. Uh, the closest I got was I did a, a doll and she was kneeling down. She had one of those blue, navy blue tunics, like the, um, what they call inmates wore at the uh, Mohawk Institute. Yes. She has black boots on. She has that haircut with the blunt bangs and across the bottom on the shoulder. And she's um, kneeling and her hands are held up in prayer. And behind her on the stand is... Uh, a buckskin dress and moccasins and pottery and a wampum necklace and so that's the closest that I got to something that might represent trauma but the name of the that diorama is Dasagahadeni which means turn around right so we have that right now to um to turn around and return to those things and yes. so there was hopefully uh, an uh, empowerment in there too and hope Yes. Yes. We always need hope. So I think that, you know, that's something that we don't acknowledge enough in our day-to-day -day lives of the words that we do speak to one another and the peace that, that, that the things that we take in that go through our whole body mm -hmm. because we're, we're looking at screens all day and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're maybe not 
um, choosing or selecting the things we need. We're just taking in the things that are there. So that's a good piece of advice for us all to think about on a day-to-day basis, to be more selective of what we put in through our lenses of our eyes and our ears, and that goes through our whole body. Right. And even what we ingest, right? Yeah, so, and what we ingest. Yeah, mm-hmm. so all of those things. Okay, we have been speaking with Elizabeth Dockstader on this podcast. She has shared with us uh, some readings of her from her books, Dream Fast and Art of Peace. And you can visit Elizabeth if you're ever in the village of Ashwigan at the Iroquois Plaza. Right in the heart of Ashwigan, she has her um, her retail outlet there, the Everything Corn Husk. It's called Everything Corn Husk. Thank you, Elizabeth, for being with us on this podcast. I, lo- I always learn a lot from you. <laughs> the teachings of the good mind have taught we should give thanks for all that we've got. When we tap the maple trees or feel the cool spring breeze, when we see the stars glisten, when the thunders roll, we listen. When we see the sun or moon or pick strawberries in June, when we plant our seeds all in a row and have the strength to care as they grow. We give thanks for this, but that's not all. We give thanks for the harvest in the fall. Then we come together as one and give thanks for all that's been done. We give thanks for all of the seasons and many more, so many more reasons. We give thanks when a new baby is born, but know we'll have days when we'll have to mourn. But still we give thanks for what our lives bring and keep giving thanks for everything. The teachings of the good mind are gifts that we can only repay by conducting ourselves in a good-minded way. Dignity, kindness, honor, respect, and love are the ways of the good mind that we must think of. And those who try to embrace this way are practicing what the teachings would say. The teachings of the good mind have taught we should give thanks for all that we've got. Yahweh for listening to the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevri. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada.